Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We are a faith community located in the central Austin area that for the next two Sundays is gathering for one service at 10 a.m. on December 24th and December 31st. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become Jesus followers who are spirit-filled and spirit-led for those who do not have a home. Good morning and Merry Christmas. My name is Candace Banks. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. When Ahaz was king of Judah, the kings of Syria and of Israel set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. When the royal court was told that Syria had formed an alliance with Israel, the heart of King Ahaz and all of his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son and go out and meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds the water into the upper pool. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burnt out embers. Yes, it is true that the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. If you are uh, new with us, or maybe you uh, are just here for this Sunday, we are really glad that you're here. We've actually been in a series that we've called uh, Between Two Trees. And the reason we've been in that series is because this is a time, obviously, where Christmas trees are everywhere and stories that involve Christmas trees um, are everywhere. Holiday movies galore. And one of the reminders that we can have during this season is that God's story is told between two trees. As a matter of fact, in the beginning pages of Scripture, we're told that God and humanity are in harmony together. And God places a tree in this garden as a way of saying, trust me. And humanity sadly doesn't trust God, but we're also told at the end of the Bible that even though humanity doesn't trust God, God has a vision of one day being in union with people again, fully realized. And there, when God and humanity are one together, there is a tree that's in the city of the heavenly garden. That is one that represents healing. And between these two images of the tree, you and I live between those two trees. And today what we do on Christmas Eve is we gather to remember the story that gives us hope in between leaving the first tree and longing for the second tree. So today in our service, all we're simply going to do is just reflect on the story that gives us hope. Now, the story that gives us hope actually starts with a story that points towards that hope. It's actually in Isaiah 7 that you hear the story of a prophet by the name of Isaiah, 
And you hear of a king by the name of Ahaz and the people of Ahaz. And Isaiah doesn't miss an opportunity when describing the internal state of the people to say that they are in dread. They are shaking like trees in the wind. Ahaz finds himself in an impossible situation. Rumors of evasion are imminent. And he has two options, two outcomes, and neither of them look good. Which isn't that just humanity's state of being? That sometimes we have options, but none of them seem good. And in the midst of Ahaz, dreading and internally being shaken up, the word of the Lord comes through this prophet Isaiah. And he comes with a word of hope. He says, take heed. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart grow faint because of these two nations. In other words, the Lord comes to Isaiah and comes to Ahaz and speaks security over their insecurities. And this is where the word of the Lord speaks to us this morning. Whether you come excited about Christmas, whether you come and you feel anxious about Christmas, the Lord can whisper security in the midst of your heart that may be full of insecurities. To say it in a funny way and to push back maybe on the great philosopher of our time, Taylor Swift. There are things in life that are not so easy to just shake off. Now let me say it in a serious way. No matter what season changes, no matter what decorations, no matter what sweaters, no matter how many lights you put up, we all hold tensions in our bodies of things that we dread or we are nervous about. And these will manifest in one way or another for us. These insecurities will come out in us. Steve Cuss, who is this really good writer that kind of, he can put his finger on the pulse of humans, says that your insecurities tend to come out in one of five ways. He would describe it kind of like this. He would say, for some of us, when we get really insecure, we reach for control. We're the type of people who we need to be in charge. If we don't do something, it won't happen. We fret when we lose the sense of control. For others of us, when we get insecure, we become perfectionist. We think we've got to get everything right. And if we don't get everything right, we will slowly lose everything that means something to us in our world. For others of us, it's knowledge. We need to be the people who have all the answers. And if we don't have all the answers, we're not doing what we need to in this life. Some of us, for our Enneagram 2s, we become deep helpers, not because we want to help to add value, but we help because it says we are of value. 
and we convince ourselves that we're the only person who can provide help. And the last one I know none of us wrestle with is just approval. We need to make sure everyone around us is okay for them to be okay with us. This Christmas, all of us, in one way or another, have ways that our insecurities come out. And the good news of God, this morning as you worship Him, is this God can whisper to those internal insecurities. He can say to us the same that he says to Ahaz, I will give you a promise. The question is, will you believe it? So this morning, if you don't know what you think about God, or you are disengaged with God, as you sing, I invite you, open your heart up and welcome God to speak through these words and speak to maybe the insecurities that are in your heart. We welcome him because he is a God who is with us. Let's stand and sing together. Oh, come, oh, come, Disperse the gloomy clouds.
of you who are serving communion this morning, you can go ahead and go back and grab trace.
you want to open your Bibles again, I'll be in Isaiah chapter 7. I'll be reading verses 10 through 12 and 14 through 16. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask me, the Lord your God, for a sign of confirmation. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as the heavens or as deep as the dead. But King Ahaz refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. So Isaiah told him, all right then. The Lord yourself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. By the time the child is old enough to choose right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating curds and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings that you fear so much will both be deserted. In Isaiah 7, the king Ahaz gets to know what has always been true of the Lord. Is that the Lord will not only just send a word, but he will also send a sign to actually say... I will give you a promise to show you that I will do what I say I will do. And when this sign comes to Ahaz, he says, it's going to kind of be like I'm spoiling a gender reveal. I'm going to give you a sign and it's going to be of a child who's born. And surprise, it's a boy. And when you know of this sign, of this boy who is born, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. That he will be the sign that carries the meaning that everything is going to be okay. And he tells the king, this is how you will know every time that baby walks around and someone says, Emmanuel, you will be reminded of this God. And then he goes further to say, by the time this child is eating real food, these things will no longer be a threat to you. This is how you'll know. And this is what we know happens for King Ahaz. Two years later, the two nations who Ahaz fears, they're actually invaded by Assyria. And the threat no longer exists. And for the prophet and for this king in 733 BC, they thought the Emmanuel prophecy was fulfilled. But this is how good God is. That unbeknownst to this king and unbeknownst to this prophet, God's words carried even more than they could expect. Because seven centuries later, there would be a man's life who would be recorded in the books that we call the Gospels, where it would tell a story not of a prophet and a king, but would tell of a baby born as a prophet who is the king. And Matthew will even tell you that the story of this king starts 
very similar. In Matthew 1.18, this is the word. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then Matthew says, but after he considered these things or resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child she conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What? She will bear a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save the people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son. They shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For Isaiah, Emmanuel meant God is on our side. For Mary and Joseph, Emmanuel means God is on our side by becoming like one of us. And why would God become one of us? Matthew says, to be able to save us. Because this baby grew up in all the insecurities that any human can face, but he did not give in to any of those insecurities. He did not come on the scene and start controlling people. He actually relinquished control. He came and he lived perfectly, but he did not walk around with the insecurities of perfection. He naturally leaned into the love of God. He did not use his knowledge of God to mow people down. As a matter of fact, he helped other people know God. And he did not find his value or his approval through others, but only by the Father. Jesus didn't live in the way people wanted him to. He lived in the way that humanity needed him to. Jesus knows we are like our childhood Christmas list. We think we know what we want, but we do not know what we actually need. So maybe an image to finish with. My, uh, my spouse and I last Christmas, we uh, found one of uh, her old childhood Christmas list. And we pulled out that bad boy to read it and see. And if you know anything of my spouse, um, her childhood Christmas list matches her personality to a T. I've actually got photo evidence for you. So there's a couple things to highlight. The first is, is that she lists what is it, how much is it, and then we even time-stamped that bad boy. Because <laughs> Santa needs to know when you were doing this. The second thing we need to reveal is that this is not one page. This is two pages of 37 items that Santa needs to know. And if that's not enough, to one more degree, as you start to work your way through the list, there are some inconsistencies in which we find. 
we start with a Christmas list that's very realistic, okay? We find like dolls for $29.88, decorative wood, which I don't know what that is, for $5.88. But then you also find that there's things like not only like a CD player that's listed, but also chocolate candies. And then not also doll clothes, but you also find she requested some outdoor furniture. Not only did she request some CDs, but she requested a $100 credit card, which I'm not sure she understood how credit cards worked. <laughs> not only did she request a dollhouse, but she also requested a kitten. Not only did she request that she have some new clothes, but she also requested that there is a phone that is given. And the last piece that's worth noticing is that if you flip through this, you'll notice that chocolate candies are number 14, they're number 16, and they're also number 32. <laughs> My spouse and I were both in agreement. This Christmas list lacked focus. We were just aimlessly listing our wants, but truly not focused on what we want to receive. Church, can I say to you, this is your heart. Your heart aimlessly walks around thinking it knows what it wants, but only Jesus knows what you need. What we may think we need is we may think we need a perfect Christmas. We may think we may need another spouse. We think we may need another church. We think we may need another job situation, but all those things are just an ache of wants. They don't answer our needs. What Jesus came to do was truly provide for your needs. And what you need is saving. What you need is security. And the powers that keep you from that saving and security is what we as Christians call sin. I don't know if maybe you have some baggage with that word or you're not sure what you think of it, maybe let me try to find a fresh way of describing that word. You and I have a chronic tendency to disappoint ourselves and those that we love. This power that sways us is sin. There is a gap between the person who you wish you could be and the person who you actually are. And if you don't believe that, ask someone who's around you all the time. That gap is what we call sin. And on every week, but especially weeks like this, we come to the table of Jesus to remember that that gap, although it exists, there is a tree across that reaches from the first tree and into the second tree. That this baby, Emmanuel, was born to fill that gap. He stepped up on a tree in the shape of a cross and he dies between two trees shaped in a cross. He opened himself up to injury to close you off from the cycle of injuries in your life. He became helpless 
so you could receive God's help. He intentionally fell into darkness for the ways that you unintentionally fall into darkness. He dies questioned if he's the son of God so you can have no question that you are a son and daughter of the living God by his blood. Jesus saves us by becoming one of us to secure us. So in a moment, this bread and this cup are going to be offered to you. And you can take it, and please do not feel obligated to take it if you're not comfortable. But the bread represents his body. And the blood is represented in the juice that we drink. And when you eat and drink of his body, when you take it and consume it, what you are saying is you are saying, Jesus, I need you. And you know what I need. So Lord, we thank you that you sent your son, Manuel, not in the ways that we wanted, but in the ways that we need. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness and your obedience to go to the cross and to trust the Father even in the midst of darkness and death. And Holy Spirit, I pray, can you expand our minds and hearts to realize how deep and how wide it is that you have saved us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to
And I'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. There was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals of the scroll and open it? But no one on earth and in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, he has won the victory. Only he is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. One of the reasons the church historically has taken time to remember the birth of Jesus, to recall what it was like, because we not only testify that Jesus came, but we also testify to he is coming again. I don't know if you caught the language of the sign when Isaiah comes to King Ahaz. He's very specific and he's bold. He actually says to the king, he goes, you should ask for such a sign that is higher than the heavens and deeper than the grave. And although the sign that King Ahaz receives is meaningful and it's timely, it doesn't necessarily look as powerful as higher than the heavens and deeper than the grave because Jesus is the truest sign of God who from the highest of heavens descended from heaven and lived on earth. And not only did he live on earth, but he died on the earth. That he descended into the grave, or as early Christians would say, he suffered the pains of hell. But not only does he descend, on the third day we declare that he rose. And not only does he rise, but he also ascends back into heaven. He completes the full cycle of God's plan. And why we reflect on how he came the first time is that it speaks to how he will come the second time. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes when I hear about Jesus coming again, I get a little nervous. I don't know if I want Jesus to return. Mainly because I have no idea what it's going to look like. Is the sky going to fall? Am I going to be ripped away from all the things that I know? What will it look like? You know, sometimes I'm nervous that I think we use imagery and we kind of paste it over that maybe isn't what's hinted at in the birth of Jesus. Uh, maybe an example would be... Um, Earlier this December, I saw uh, 
I saw the uh, mom speech happen. And uh, if you're not familiar with the mom speech, some of you have experienced the mom speech, but I watched this little child get the mom speech. He had been acting up in the place that we were in. And at one point, his mother just hones in. And she says that classic line. She goes, you've misbehaved so much that I'm not even going to deal with you. But you wait till your father gets home. And he's going to take all those presents. And he's going to take them right back to the store. Whew. Sometimes I can't help but shake. Do we speak of Jesus like he's going to return like that? Maybe some people and maybe some people before us, generations who have tried best have actually tried to paint this picture of what Jesus' return will look like to motivate us towards God. You think things are bad right now. You just wait till he returns. Mm. Then he's going to get after us. He may have been meek and mild the first time, but the second time you see him, he will not be like that. Is this what we envision Jesus returning to be like? Can I ask some of us, is that actually good news? Is that the good news we envision? In John 5, Revelation 5, John has a vision. And this vision is in the same book where we see that final tree of healing where God and humanity are actually brought together. And John in this vision describes God almost as if he's like this builder, this architect who carries this scroll. And this scroll is like the plans. It's the unrolling of God's plan to undo all of the powers of darkness and what they've done. And in God's mercy and grace, God wants humans to be a part of that undoing. And in Revelation 5, John begins to weep because he knows what we know is that there is no one who can help unroll the plans because all people have contributed to the hurt that is in the world. And before John can weep, there's an elder that says to him, wait, don't forget, and this is good, don't forget that even though there's no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can open the scroll, there is one. Emmanuel, the one who is God's sign that is higher than the heavens and one who's gone deeper than the grave, the sign that's born of the virgin, the one who will be God with us. And John says, when Jesus unrolls the scroll, he says he sounds like a lion, but when he turns He's like a slain lamb. And that's some good news for us this morning. If you're fearful of God, if you're fearful of Jesus returning, I ask you to look closely 
to the story of Christmas. That yes, Jesus is judge and he does return. And there is a reverence that needs to be given because there will be a time where Jesus says, I will stop anything that causes tears in the world. But Jesus judges in order to true things up. Jesus judges to make things right. That's why He comes again. And it's good news because if He came as a baby the first time, humbly, it gives us hope that He comes humbly the second time. Jesus didn't knock the world off His feet by making people suffer. He came as the suffering servant. Jesus does not come in like the movie Die Hard with guns blazing and setting things right. He doesn't come with a sword. He comes washing feet. Jesus doesn't come and humiliate people. He comes humbly as a baby serving people. And it's in this same book we are reminded that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? And forever. And if that's the case, it makes you just joyfully wonder when He shows up, however it looks that He returns, Maybe we're all going to fall to his feet, not because there's a sword against our neck, but because he's the one who first fell in front of us and washed our feet. That's some good news. If you don't know what you think about God, I hope you hear this, that it was good news the first time God showed up in the world. And it's going to be good news when God shows up again in the world. He's the only one who can set things right. So we wait for his return and we praise him in the meantime. What? Because only he is worthy to open up the scroll. That's what peace on earth looks like when heaven and earth come.